Welcome to the Most True You podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Irene. Raven Scott is with us this, today, and Raven is an author of a book called Empath and the Narcissist, a healing guide for people pleasers. She's a certified meditation teacher. She is a destiny life coach, and she does a lot of other things as well. So Raven, I would love to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself in the way that you would like to. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, those are the basics. It's always good to have the host read my bio because I don't know if anyone's familiar with human design. I'm a generator and I have a really hard time staying focused and sticking to those. I'm like, oh, I can do that. Yeah, let's do this over here. And then I have to reel myself back in, stay focused. So yes, I absolutely, you know, I see myself as a role model, possibly maybe even a speaker, but really just guiding people through the process that I went through, the healing process, you know, sharing my story, my experience, my healing tools, and just, you know, shedding that love and light out to others who need those tools. And we should add to that, you're also a podcast host, right? Yes. Yes, I'm a (laughs) podcast host. Yes. I love podcasting. It's one of my favorite things to do and to listen to, and it's just a great medium. So yeah, it's called Unlock Your Destiny with Raven Scott. Okay. Well, we're going to start this podcast episode with the same question that I ask all of my guests, and that is, what does it mean for you to live as your most true you at this point in your life? Yeah, for me, it's absolutely finding my power, you know, living in my power, tapping into my inner authority, or some people may call it your self-sovereignty, and not wavering from it. I love that. So yeah, it's it's been a really tough road for me as a people pleaser to be able to draw boundaries, speak my boundaries, or and even speak my emotions of how I'm feeling and how people are maybe offending me. And a lot of people don't intentionally offend you, but if you don't speak up, then they never know. And then you kind of carry on this resentment. For so for me, living my truest self is standing up for myself, loving myself and and voicing that, you know, voicing those emotions and having the finding that power within to yeah. yeah, to be me. That's awesome. I actually think that's a really neat example of, you know, being able to speak up when somebody offends you because it's not easy to do. And I actually just did that earlier this week with someone. And I remember just being like, feeling like that was such a huge win that I had done that. And it really, I think helped our relationship as well. But I would love to hear a little bit about what that looks like for you when you are in the moment realizing someone has just said or done something that has offended you or hurt your feelings or whatever. What does that look like for you to actually speak up? Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's very pretty for me. It's still at the beginning stages. I definitely have found my power, but it's like fumbling and saying, you know what? I need to express this and I'm having a hard time expressing it and kind of, Mm. you know, having that person allow space for you to figure it out, you know, and share with them, you know, I just an example, just earlier this week, there's been a lot of hard aspects in the cosmos and energies and you know, I told my husband, you know, this, when you do this, it makes me feel like 
unloved or unappreciated and coming to him in that respect that this is how you make me feel. And I completely respect and understand you're under a lot of stress as well, but this is where I'm coming from. And this is why maybe we had that argument yesterday and it's been really empowering because he's able to hear it and say, okay. And then maybe defend himself a little bit and express his side. You know, it it seems to Mm. open up the floodgates for him, which he's also has a hard time expressing his emotions. It's kind of funny. We both have a hard time expressing emotions. It's not easy to do. Yeah, it's not easy to do. And so it kind of allowed him the freedom to do so. And then, you know, we were both able to, after we processed it, you know, an hour or two, come back and say, yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm really sorry that I said that. I'm really sorry. I just, I'm feeling a lot of pressure right now or whatever. Mm. And it's freeing to bring that apology, to bring the empathy into the relationship yeah. rather than festering that resentment. Oh, that's cool. And that takes such a level of vulnerability too. I think about Brene Brown tells this story of I don't know, something that she and her husband were doing and they're, I'm not going to go into the whole story, but kind of the point of it is she began to say to her husband, the story that I'm telling myself is blank. And then she would say, you know, here's what my assumptions are. Here's the story I'm telling myself. Here's what's repeating through my head. And then that gave him the opportunity to say, wow, I'm so sorry that you have that story. Here's what's actually going on. And that has felt really powerful for me to be able to say to people, hey, the story that I'm telling myself is blank or, you know, whatever it is, can you help me understand what's actually going on? And yeah, I, lo- I remember hearing that and loving that because that's so true. We have these narratives in our head that we hold on and we, yes. especially for me, I don't know if it's because I'm a Virgo. I don't know if it's because I was born with Mercury in retrograde when, you know, at the time I have no idea, but I have a lot of energies where I just create all of these narratives that are like, they hate me, you know, they're always against me. And so to be able to, yeah, reiterate that and say, this is what's happening in my head. Is this false? Like what, what really is going on? So powerful. (laughs) It is powerful. (laughs) Well, I love that. I love the practical examples. That's really cool. Okay. So you have written a book called Empath and the Narcissist, A Healing Guide for People Pleasers. So I would love to hear about this process of what brought you to writing the book. And that's probably (laughs) going to be, I'm like that, I realize as I ask that, that's a huge question. So maybe we can break that up into chunks, but I'll let you decide where you want to start. Yeah, well, I can start with that. It definitely was a two-year process. And then the healing process for me was a 10-year process. So it's just as soon as I awakened and exited the relationship, it's a memoir. It's based, you know, around a fictional character. It's my memoir. But to protect everybody in the story, I have fictional names and some fictional situations, but it's very much a, a real story. And It's about me exiting a toxic relationship with a narcissist. And so it took me, it was a long road for, of recovery. You know, I experienced PTSD, uh, nightmares. I had shadow figures, you know, I felt like chasing me in a sense Mm -hmm. and it took a while. And then I just found myself being called to write about it while I was processing it almost on the intellectual side. Like I kept asking myself why? why did this happen? And I kept not really coming up with a real good answer. And so 
starting to write the book helped me process that question mm. and kind of come to terms with it was my karmic journey. You know, certain things in my childhood set it up, you know, for this to happen. And I'm no longer the victim. When I started writing the book, it was out of that victim mentality. Like, okay. this sucks. Why did this happen to me? Yeah. I had a lot of hatred towards everyone involved for forming me into this, you know, victim. And then probably about a year and a half into it, I completely went back to the beginning and rewrote it essentially out, you know, from a perspective of the, the victor, you know, coming from the perspective of this is why it happened, but I'm okay with it. And I've forgiven everyone in the process. And this is just what might happen. And this is what narcissism is, you know, helping define emotional abuse and narcissism. And then at the end of each chapter, giving a tool of how I healed. So really becoming more of a guidebook versus a like, my life sucks. You know, I'm a victim book. Yeah. I love that. I have this image that I want to share with you because I think that it may resonate. When I came out of my divorce, I felt like I was just on a really, I was on a journey, but like everything around me was dark. I knew there was a path, but I didn't know where it was. I knew it was one that essentially I was going to be forging, not one that somebody had made for me. And as I went through my own healing journey, I kind of got this image of becoming a light bearer or a lantern holder, somebody who's, you know, is essentially saying, I now have this light within me because of what I went through. And as I shine that, I hope that as others encounter me, it shines a little bit of light on that part of their journey. And I see you kind of doing the same thing in your book, doing the same thing that as other people enter this space of leaving a partner who you know is narcissistic or is abusive or both, but your book can be a tool, you know, a lantern to help them see that there actually is a path and it may be one that is just yours to walk, but you're not the only one who's walked that kind of a path. And there's a lot of tools at your disposal for this. That's so beautifully well put. That's that's kind of the image too that I keep to, you know, there's a lot of work to pour into the book itself and then mm -hmm. to pour into like getting the word out. And then also he verbally was assaulting me. One time I had posted something in the Me Too movement and I got, you know, horrible threats that I felt like I had mm. to call the police about. They were so wow. threatening, like wow. blackmailing me and all this stuff. And so that is the one image that keeps me going through this journey of continuing to share it and to find my courage and to say, you know what, I am safe, you know, source, universe, God is protecting me through this, yeah. you know, telling the story because I'm bearing that light. If I can shed just a little bit of a flashlight on someone's path, on the next stepping stone, then I've done yeah. my job and I'm very happy. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. yeah the cover, mm. my podcast cover art really was designed with all of that in mind. Like there's two lanterns on either side of a doorway, there's steps. And it just is kind of that image of we all are going through this process of kind of entering the space where we can be our most true selves. But there's so much around that as well, that it's not a one-time thing. There are, you know, all sorts of little steps in between. So I love that we can join yeah, together on that. I others. love that. 
I love that. And we, you know, you don't have to do it alone. It's not like your journey is, your journey is unique, but you can hold hands throughout it. You can, you know, reach out and grab a little bit of light. Yeah. Yeah. Don't do it alone. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go back to childhood a little bit and talk about, because you mentioned that there were certain elements of your childhood that maybe helped prepare you uh, to be in a relationship with somebody who's narcissistic. Uh, so I would like to have you just talk a little bit about what that looked like for you and what maybe helped, I don't know, yeah. shape you in that way. Yeah, it pretty much set me up to be a, a sheep, you know, for a wolf to prey on, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was raised in a very traditional Christian household, Assemblies of God denomination, and I was taught all about, you know, Jesus and I'm a sinner and we're all born sinners and we always constantly have to be repenting and, and kind of, I mean, it was, it was all I knew then. And as I grew older and I, I was also in a private uh, Christian school, so they did not really talk or teach about world science. Their science was was as narrow as they could, like chemistry, elements, all the basics, but they did not uh, talk about the Big Bang Theory, evolution. It was very much like God created the earth, and that is how we are here. <laughs> it wasn't like, <laughs> oh, let's dive deeper and see, like, right. well, there's things that are, like, millions of years old. How does that explain, you know, in the, if the yep. Bible is correct, that means that it's only, like, a couple thousand years old. So, yeah, that was very much not talked about. So I didn't really know much. And I really, I was busy. I didn't have the brain capacity or wherewithal to even care to research it or think about that there's something out there. Yeah. Um, so it kind of set me up to this, oh, like when I met my first husband, it, he he knew all that stuff. He went to a public school. We did meet in church. We met on the worship team. And it was like he opened my eyes and I... I was like, oh my gosh, you know, all this, like all of a sudden Jesus was not my savior anymore. He was because he Mm. like brought to light all of these things that were real, that I was sheltered. And I started to get upset and bitter that I wasn't taught this and I was sheltered. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. I think all the time about how the church and its various formats and especially the kind of American evangelical Protestant church really is set up to keep people in a very small space and to keep people small, right? It's Mm -hmm. set up to, you know, the conversation is just never ending about us being sinners and us being born terrible and our hearts being, you know, deceitful beyond our ability to fix it. All of that really sets us up to accept a lot of really crappy things. Yeah, so it sets you that. up to to feel like like your self first of all, like your self-worth is low. Cause Yes. So that means I'm like I'm born like dark. Like, you know, I believe the opposite. Yeah. We're all beautiful souls connected to source and then we're conditioned in the world versus the the way I was raised and yeah. the Christian is that we were born sinners. And it's pretty depressing if you really keep thinking and believing it. And yeah, it's, and then there's so much other things that can knock down your self-worth, you know, even if it's not the church, it can be like a bully in school. It can be, if you don't feel like you belong in a group, you know, for me, I wasn't a nerd. I wasn't like, even though I was a cheerleader, I wasn't the popular cheerleader. I wasn't the cool girl. I was like this 
worship. I was a leader. I was a worship leader. And then I felt like not cool being that, but that was like all I knew and I felt comfortable doing it. So you have a whole bunch of elements that kind of tie into, for me at least, like my my self-worth bucket was way down here. And I have a bunch of stories in my book that describe how my my self-worth bucket was very empty. Mm. Yeah, Yeah. Which set me up to accepting whatever love came my way. You know, and I was the perfect (laughs) victim to be groomed to, you know, he shared with me all this amazing things. And that's the thing I just read yesterday in my podcast, a little snippet from my book was at the end when it it was like, he couldn't control me anymore. He had like confessed to me. I picked you because you were malleable. I picked you because you were like this neutral, you know, person that I could form into whatever I wanted. And I was just shocked. Wow. That's, that's kind of a, that's a pretty amazing validation. I would think to have heard that. I mean, that's kind of a, there's also like some, oh shit, that's really sucky. But there's also some validation to say like, wow, all this that I felt like you were doing to me, you literally just admitted that you were doing to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which I think is pretty rare for a narcissist to admit, but yeah, yeah. for some reason I was able to magically get that out of him in some argument. (laughs) That is pretty amazing. You must've really got to him. (laughs) I, I did know how to get under his skin. That's for sure. Yeah, that's so <laughs> funny. So let's talk a little bit about the path of kind of realizing that you were in this relationship, that it was toxic, that there was abuse going on. What did that look like for you? And kind of how, if there were any sequential mm-hmm. steps in that, or, you know, what did that process look like for you to begin and then actually exit the relationship? Yeah, it was a long process. It was a push and pull. I I tried to move out seven times before I actually moved out, which when you're in an abusive relationship, emotional or physical, the average time you attempt to move out is 12. So don't feel bad that you tried to move out one or two or a couple times and like you got pulled back in. Don't, Don't feel weak. Don't feel bad. It's just part of the cycle and you're normal. So yeah, I would always move out, you know, go back to my parents' house. I went to so many different people's, a friend, my mom's, my grandma. I tried all the different, like, well, maybe it didn't work (laughs) that time because I went to that house. Let me try this house. But it was more the cycle of I was so codependent on him. Like I felt like I couldn't exist without him and I needed him. So I would kind of feel pulled to reach out to him. And then he would use that apology as a weapon against me and manipulate it back to something I did was wrong and but it's okay I forgive you and like only if you do this then it'll be all back to the love bombing phase all back to our happy selves again and so I'd say okay and I would go back so it was a really long process I didn't realize I was codependent I didn't realize I was in emotionally abusive relationship I just knew that in my body I felt empty because he was my self-worth. He validated me and I allowed him to be, like I said, like my end all be all, as opposed to loving myself and really giving myself that power of, I can literally do anything all by myself, which it was so Mm -hmm. ironic because I was raised that way, but there's so many other, you know, counter effects, you know, that that overrode those words that I was taught. So it was a really long process. Yeah. And it, it just, 
it just took until my Saturn return. Honestly, I was 28 and I went on a trip with my um, family. I was realizing I do want kids. He was adamant about not having kids. Every step I thought I went deeper and deeper in with him. I got married, you know, two years before that thinking that that was going to fix it, you know, moving in together. I thought that was going to fix it, but I, you as the person can't fix the wound of the narcissist. You just can't. Yeah. You, nothing you do can fix it. Yep. Yeah, that's so true. And in my own experience and in the experience of other people that I've talked with, that's really a common theme is we, you know, the person in relationship with the narcissist have really taken the blame for what's wrong with the relationship and we do everything we can to fix it. And it seems like at some point we kind of realize, wait, I can't actually fix it. And that tends to be a pretty big turning point, but it can take a really long time to get there. Yeah. It's really difficult and mind boggling that it does take us so long to get there, but I think it's because (laughs) they are master manipulators and they keep twisting everything around on us. I would have friends say, you need to break up with him and you need to tell him to do this. And I'd be like, yeah, totally. And then I would (laughs) go back home. I would have the conversation. And, you know, an hour or two later, I would, my brain literally would have done a 180 and I would be turning against my friend when I went back to them and said, you're trying to wreck this relationship. You're the one who's in the wrong. And then I'd lose that friend. Therefore, I was isolated and back in the control of that emotional relationship. Yeah. And that's all part of the abusive cycle. When did you realize that the relationship had been abusive? That's a good question. There were two parts to it. I realized that he was never going to change, not realizing he was abusive, but just that he was super stubborn and stuck in his ways was after I came back from that trip with my family. So my, my family is a big family. I grew up like on the weekends with my cousins. So I went and visited my cousin. She has like, at the time she had seven. She has more kids now. And then my other cousin was there. And it was so much fun. Like just being with all the kids. I was never around kids because we were isolated. We didn't have any friends with kids. Mm. And I mean, I have beautiful children myself and I love kids. I remember my most fondest memories was babysitting. You know, like that's just, I, I just love, I'm a lover. Like, So not having kids was definitely not right for my soul. And so I came back. I was telling him about it. Like, oh, they're such great kids. We had so much fun. We're doing this. And he just immediately started in on me. We were out to dinner. Oh, you know, those people are breeders and they're just horrible people and starting to go on and on about things completely unrelated. No empathy. Mm -hmm. No like, oh, wow, that sounds really fun. Nothing like normal, like a normal human would react to. And so that was the moment I knew that that he was never going to change and this was not going to work. I literally went to the bathroom and I broke down and I like sobbed, pulled myself together and just went home and was like, okay, well now what? And then the, the, the second part of the twofold is I was starting to really find my voice and not, not allow him to manipulate me. So I don't even remember what we were saying, but I just remember he was not getting through to me to twist my brain around and so he grabbed my wrist and I was holding like a drink and it was starting to really hurt. And I didn't, I, he wouldn't let go. I asked him to let go. And so then I was like, well, what else do I do? So I slapped him in the face because I was like, he's not letting go of my wrist. 
And of course, all of this is also alcohol induced. I was yeah. a situational alcoholic. He was a full blown alcoholic. We were not happy. And yeah. so I was like, that's the only thing I could think of to do. And so then he let go, but then he smacked me back in the face. And I was like, oh. that was the straw. I was like, for some reason, all these years, the emotional abuse didn't register, but the physical abuse registered for me. And yeah. I was like, that's it. I said, this is unhealthy. We need to go to therapy. This is not, this is not good. And yeah, I think a week or two after that, I found an apartment and I said, we need to go to therapy. I moved out to find a safe place for us to go to therapy and he wasn't having it. So I divorced him. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for sharing all of that. First of all, I know sometimes it's not easy to go back and revisit those types of scenarios. I can definitely see the healing in you that you're able to talk about that. And it's just part, you know, it's part of your story. It's not going to go away. And I can relate to so much of that. And I'm sure a lot of other people can as well. So thanks for sharing it. I really appreciate that. With all of that, I want to know, what do you see as some of like the major steps, even if they weren't huge events, but just what were some of the more significant steps in your healing journey after that, after you left, after you, you know, you had your apartment, you got divorced. What did your healing journey look like? Yeah, it was trying to reconnect with family again because I was isolated from them. I didn't talk to them. I actually did try and go back to the church. I went to a non-denominational church. And that was great for a time, and it kind of helped me find my spirituality again. But it still really wasn't the right fit for me. For me, it was, you know, I it just didn't feel right. And still when people, like I was telling you earlier, when people quote scriptures, I kind of like get this weird stab, like PTSD (laughs) in my gut. I'm like, oh, don't don't even use that to manipulate. So... But I mean, scripture is beautiful. It's just like a beautiful book of quotes from a Buddhist monk. I mean, there's some beautiful things from it, but the way certain people, the way they use it, I'm just like, ooh, no. Yeah. So the journey was that, and it was, it, it was up and down and all around, right? Our journey is never a straight path. Nope. And then I found, I went to therapy, so that was good. She did a lot of different modalities to help me recognize I was in a, you know, I had codependency. Help me recognize I had codependency in a lot of other relationships in my life. And yeah, I just dove into the self-development world, finding, you know, Joe Vitale and Jen Sincero, and then so many others, you know, Brene Brown and all that towards the end, finding different prayers, different alternative spiritual things, meditations. You know, I was open to a lot more because I was, I was out of the church and going, well, that's not yeah. really my path either. So yeah, yeah. yeah. it yeah, was just the, the universe brought me all these people along the way, you know, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I feel I can resonate with a lot of that too. You do a lot of work with astrology, right? Yeah. And I love you astrology. do some, what's that? I love astrology. It's so helpful. (laughs) I want to know specifically about what you do with the North Node, because that's something that you work very specifically with people on. So I would like to hear, you know, what that means and what that looks like for people. Yeah. You know, we were talking about the dark path and the lantern, that same analogy, the North Node is your lantern and Mm. the South Node is your dark path. And it's such a beautiful, like, 
the journey contains both of them. And there's the lessons and, you know, the difficulties and struggle to then create that beautiful, you know, piece of gold or gem that you carry on into your, onto your light path with your North node. And what it is, is it's just a point. It's very abstract. So a lot of people don't talk about it. I've found just a couple people that talk about it, but everyone knows their sun sign, maybe their moon sign, but your North node really helps you determine your destiny. It's a point in this, the sky in, you know, how the earth and the moon go around the sun they all kind of go around in like an ecliptical pattern. And when the, the point and when the moon and the earth like cross, their elliptical paths cross, that's your north node on the, yeah. top, the, the top horizon and then your south node's opposite in your zodiac. So if you go to your chart, if you've ever pulled it, it looks like a horseshoe. That's your north node. So wherever it is, it gives you the energy of what your destiny is, what your life's purpose it's like your medicine for your soul. Like what is your soul yearning for as you're moving out? Because, you know, you and I both, we all know that when you first enter this healing journey, when you exit that relationship, you do feel very lost and dark. So the North Node yeah. is like your North Star. It gives you that mm -hmm. direction to focus your energies. It gives you that medicine and salve for your soul to know why, why am I here and how can I how can I self-care myself the best? And, and every wherever it is in your chart, each zodiac has a different energy that that soul is yearning for. And then okay. as well as whatever house it's in, it then is like, what's that focus? Is it career? Is it family? You know, is it your own personal life and journey? Wow. Yeah. I so it have can just be pretty complex barely started exploring that on my own. I've been kind of doing the work with my birth chart for the past year and just kind of exploring the different aspects. And that's kind of like on my next, next to bat. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I love hearing about your journey. I love hearing about, you know, some of the harder things as well as some of the ways that you have been finding your power and standing in your power and I really love that you are very, very purposefully and intentionally shining your light for others. So where can Thank people you. find you if they are hearing your story and saying, I need to talk to Raven some more? Where can they find you? <laughs> yeah, I love to be on Instagram and Facebook. So you can find me at unlockyourdestiny.ravenscott. And in the link, I have a, a companion guide to the book. It's like a self-healing guide and it includes the North Node. So you can find where your North right. Node is if you don't have your natal chart and you can receive your free North Node medicine and salve. There's two cards each person gets, kind of like a paragraph that you can maybe put in your journal. And then the second card is just a bullet point, like what is your life purpose and what is in your shadow and like just kind of helps you hone in and get clarity on that. So that's free. Um, on Facebook, I am, my page is Unlock Your Destiny. I have a group called Women Self, uh, Empath Women Self-Development to Unlock Your Destiny. So yeah, there's there's Great. too many places I'm at, but well, <laughs> my we'll website is probably... Yeah, just we'll link all of that in the show notes. Yeah, and yeah. we'll link to the book because I think that's something a lot yeah, of people are going to be interested in. <laughs> it's available on Amazon. And so Hooray. if anyone wants to join in, follow me on the Instagram and I'll share it with you too. But I'm doing a campaign on the 29th. 
So we're all taking a selfie of ourselves in red and we're using oh. hashtag narc awareness. And yeah, just I created a cute little sticker of my book. So then you could put a sticker of my book there and tag me. So I love that. That's really creative. Yeah. So yeah. you're a published author. I just that I makes know. me so happy for you. Good job. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time today and for sharing yourself and your journey with us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. You have so many options to choose from, and I love that you chose the Most True You podcast. You can support the podcast by subscribing and reviewing the podcast, particularly via iTunes. You can find out more information about our guests in the show notes, and you can find out more information about me on my website at ikellyirene.com and more information about the podcast at Most True youpodcast.com. Until next week, many blessings, my friends.